Janine. This is KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. Standing by to join me is Michael A. Yassa. He's a UCI Irvine professor and James L. McGaw chair in the Neurobiology of Learning and Memory, Neurobiology and Behavior School of Biological Sciences. Welcome to the show. How long have you been at UCI? Um, I actually have a long history at UCI. So I was here um, when I was a graduate student many, many years ago. Okay. I came back as a faculty member in 2014. So I've been here uh, since then as a, as a faculty member. That's amazing. And uh, your areas of interest are Alzheimer's. What else? Correct. Uh, learning and memory very broadly, Alzheimer's being uh, one key area, and then neuropsychiatric illness and depression being another key area. Okay. Tell me about your um, involvement or your affiliation with the fact that um, there's going to be a new center opening and it was made possible by Audra Steele. Is it Bernand? Bernand. Bernand. Uh, she left an estate gift of $57.75 million to UCI uh, to establish a world-class campus-wide depression research center. That is incredible. Yeah, no, I, you said it. I mean, it is really incredible. Uh, it's, uh, we believe, the largest gift of its kind devoted to depression research. And uh, I'll be honest with you, my involvement, of course, in securing this gift was negligible. I did really nothing to, to be able to do that. Um, that was mostly my colleagues at UCI, um, especially Dean LaFerla, uh, Dean of the School of Biological Sciences, um, uh, who worked over a number of years with, with Audrey at um secure that kind of uh, magnitude of a gift. But I am one of the benefactors of this, of course, being a researcher who is uh, deeply involved in depression research. Um, so uh, I uh, started to speak with colleagues about the potential for this opportunity and um, was able to, um, you know, lend some thoughts as to uh, what those future directions might look like for UCI. And there's going to be a lot of activity over the coming months um, trying to gather our community together at UCI and also locally in Orange County to try to figure out what are the directions that we should be pursuing. So you can expect a lot more of a, a flurry of activity in that domain and lots of conversations, lots of feedback gathering um, from colleagues uh, all around campus to kind of figure out the best way to proceed. Now, What's so interesting is the timing of this, because as I mentioned before we started, you know, we've been in a mental health crisis before the pandemic, and now so many people, students, you know, Gen Z, teachers, everyone, I don't know anyone who hasn't been affected by, you know, what's happened over the past three years. So I think the timing of this is tremendous. Couldn't agree more. I mean, I think that the, the timing is certainly uh very, very important. And our ability at this time to be able to make a difference with this kind of transformative gift uh, and really focus on transforming the way that depression research is done. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, neuropsychiatric illness, as, as you know, impacts a large number of individuals around the globe and yeah. with everything that happened with COVID-19 pandemic, but also all of the disruptions uh, that have happened kind of in our lives um, related to that, related to the economy, related to just even, you know, things happening at a global scale now, yes. um, that accentuates those vulnerabilities and makes it sort of that mental health is kind of uh, its own pandemic. So uh, I think the timing could not be better. And I'm excited uh, that we, we can, um, you know, take a leadership role uh, nationally and maybe even globally uh, in, the, in the fight against uh, depression and neuropsychiatric illness. That's what I was thinking. I think that you're going to set the precedent for other places to 
to do similar initiatives because maybe not necessarily get a grant of this size, however, but to really focus on what can be done to chip away at this huge mental health crisis that we find ourselves in. And, and I feel like less, of course, academics is always, you know, the focus of students going to UCI and, and I'm sure they get pressure to some degree from parents, some cut, sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. But really, if you are not in check with your mental health long-term, you can't be successful. Again, 100% agree. I think that you're, you're absolutely right. These are problems that touch each and every one of our lives. And what we've seen, um, especially in the context of doing research on this campus, mm-hmm. is that our undergraduates uh, are struggling with this, our graduate students are struggling with this, our professors, our staff, really everyone in the campus community uh, yes. has been kind of a microcosm of what we're seeing on the outside. So uh, there's a lot that needs to be done. And I think we do have an opportunity, not just for, for leadership, but to create a model, as you said. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting and unique because we have uh, the opportunity to really build something from, from scratch, right? Yes. We have a lot of excellent talent around this campus, throughout different departments, throughout different programs, but the opportunity to kind of consolidate them, to recruit additional talent from the outside, mm-hmm. build something de novo here is just incredibly exciting. And yes. I think it can really be pathbreaking. Um, Ironically, I was just on a webinar this morning with Education Week, and they were talking about toxic stress and students and and the impact on teachers and faculty. And really, you know, if you have a student that is not doing well academically and, you know, you're noticing that they're not participating or they're acting up, you have to really take a breath and think, I'm going to be a detective and I'm going to kind of try to dive into Um, what's going on here. Now, of course, teachers are burnt out. You know, how much can they really do, right? But maybe the student lost somebody. I mean, many people have lost people, right? So maybe they've lost somebody. Maybe there's not enough food on the table. Maybe their parents lost their jobs. There's so many possibilities contributing. Uh, Again, I completely agree. And I think that... um... Right now, you know, from a faculty member's perspective, we are advised by campus leadership, for example, to exercise flexibility, mm-hmm. to, to try to be exercise compassion first and foremost. Right. As you know, students have had to deal with so many disruptions, and I'm not discounting the fact that as faculty, we've also had to deal with disruptions. Yeah. But in many cases, um, you know, we have different kinds of support systems in place that allow us to continue to thrive mm-hmm. that students are deprived of. And many yes. of our students, for example, have to support their families. And you're right, they may have lost a loved one, lost mm-hmm. a job, lost, uh, you know, uh, uh, anything due to financial hardship. But also, you know, there's, there's a lot of grief around loss of rhythms, loss of the expectancy yes. of daily life. So the, that kind of uh, chaos that students have had to live with for some time even not knowing, you know, whether they're coming back live or they're hybrid or they're remote or how to mm-hmm. deal with Zoom, how to deal with all of those things. Um, that's made it worse. And I think has made the responsibility on our shoulders as faculty um, quite a bit more substantial to try to kind of do that detective work, to be inquiring, to ask, how are you really doing? And uh, exercise compassion when we can. Uh, but at the same time, ensure that our students are getting an educational experience that is worthwhile. Um, even though many of them are still now seeing the campus for the very first time since they started here two years ago. That's true. Oh. That's true. I feel that. Um, in my experience, the work I do, I feel like 
when they have a sense of connection to one another, and that's been tough in the pandemic, which is an understatement, but when they can connect to either their peers or intergenerationally and do things uh, where maybe they're trying something new or they're, they're going out and reaching out to a neighbor or they're, they're just doing something to get out of their own mindset, that seems to help. Have you found that in your research? Absolutely. Again, I think you're you're exactly on on the right path here. Is that experiences that are done socially together mm-hmm. that are meaningful and kind of allow students to express their passion. Service is a big one. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are seeing that that actually has positive impact on mental health. We typically do this with graduate students, but also some of our undergraduates. We do service projects in the community, outreach, education, K through twelve, older adults, you yeah. name it. Um, and in those experiences, the students come back and say, this is so meaningful to me. I feel like my bucket is filled. Those are their words. Right? Oh, I love that. So they, they do feel a lot of fulfillment from those kinds of activities for the two reasons. One is that it's meaningful service and two, they do it together. So there's mm-hmm. a big bonding component around it. And I think they really do value that counterbalancing against you know, having to be isolated in the laboratory environment or at home, you know, attending their classes, all of those kinds of things that are typically more focused on them as individuals. These are more group-like activities that are very helpful. That's great. I want to share a brief story with you. This happened um, in the pandemic. So my daughter was having a rough day at college. She had gone to Dunkin' Donuts early in the morning. They messed up her order. They didn't give a receipt. The computers were down, blah, blah, blah. I said, don't worry. You would just go back with your empty cup, your bag, whatever. We pull up and they said at the drive-thru, we're closed. And I said, well, is there a manager, someone I could speak with? Nope, there's no manager. I said, there's no one I could talk to. We just want to get her money back. Here's two items she purchased. So this really nice employee comes over. He's about 18 or 19. He says, thank you so much for not yelling at me. I said, why would I yell at you? He says, our computers were down. It was an awful Monday. And he says, of course, I'll give you your money back. Now, will you take some donuts? I said, no, I, I don't eat donuts anymore, but thank you. He said, can you do me a favor and pull around the back? of the store, I gotta show you something. I pull around the back and there must be 400 items that get thrown out every single day. He said, can you please do me a favor and take this, take any amount you want and go donate it to a homeless shelter. I said, that I will do. I'm not gonna say no to that. And I started taking my daughters and no matter what kind of day they were having and sometimes not great days, you know, um, they walked out of that place at night after we'd boxed up stuff in a much better mood. And then we would go and we'd drop off these items to six or seven places around Orange County. And it was an education for me and, and for them. And it was so meaningful. What a wonderful family experience to have as well. Yeah. I mean, that it, it, exactly. That's so meaningful because you get the benefit of feeling like you are contributing meaningfully to somebody's life. Definitely. Also, if you know you don't have the need, but they have the need, so you're kind of bridging and allowing that to happen. Um, I know that for Dunkin' Donuts and for other places, you know, they they can't keep this stuff overnight. They have to get rid of it, but right. they don't really have a mechanism to go out and actually donate it. So yes. you're, you're doing a huge favor for them. Resources are not wasted. There's everything is positive about this experience. Yeah. I really do wish that that more people think about the uh, the possibility of service like that or being able to kind of contribute in a community way um, as in some ways therapeutic. 
It is. A, a way to be able to improve our own mental health because nothing is like giving your time, your effort, money, whatever it is, but You're giving right. someone else who's in need is, is truly um, impactful on, on uh, our own mental health. I agree. I actually, through that, I created something called the CARE Initiative and it has to do with the power of connection, attention to mental, physical, emotional health, resilience, and educating ourselves on issues like homelessness. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, di- different, different issues we face, whether it's climate change. And it became such an important part of my life. I, I just felt like it also helped me get out of my own funk um, get out of my own way because I was doing something meaningful and I wanted to get more students involved. Um, yeah. So I, I wanted to share that with you. Okay, thank you. Thank you for sharing. What else would you like people to know about this initiative that's going on? Well, I think that, you know, it's exciting times uh, at UCI and certainly a time to um, get involved and uh, start talking with our researchers here about the kinds of things that would truly make an impact. Um, I think that UCI is, you know, of the community and for the community, and there's so many deep bonds between UCI and Orange County that I hope people will think this is an opportunity to kind of give us their take on what's going on. What are the struggles? What are the issues? Um, and it'll help us uh, certainly steer the direction of the center and think about, you know, the talent that we uh, recruit from the outside, the kinds of topics that we pursue, but also it creates another layer of stakeholders that I think is really, really important. Yes. So. I would love to see them getting involved uh, with us as we start to roll out some community events and panels and forums and things like that. Be on the lookout for for news about this because it's definitely going to be um, for the community. That's great. I have found too that the arts help lift people up. Yes. Um, I remember my daughter, she signed up for an art class before the pandemic and now she's doing stuff at home, whether it's painting or knitting or playing a ukulele just anything creative to take that mental vacation. 100%. And I've heard this quite often also during the pandemic because people have been kind of cooped up at home and, and you know, lost on so many other things and they've taken as an opportunity to um, grow a passion or a hobby in a new art form, whether mm-hmm. it's painting or taking up a new instrument. I, my whole family took up new instruments. You know, oh, really? Daughters, like yeah. what? Uh, so my two daughters, one is now a guitarist, the other one's a drummer. And, you know, they hadn't really taken up those instruments before, but we did it Excellent. during the pandemic time and they're continuing. I've, I've started to become their bassist. So we're going to have a jam band together. Oh, I love it. Um, <laughs> but, you know, those are all things that were inspired by the fact that those kinds of activities are really good for our mental health. Yes. So to kind of, you know, disconnect a little bit from all the other things we have to always worry about, whether mm-hmm. it's school or work or what have you, and just focus on being creative. And there's yes. something truly, truly beneficial to the brain and mental health in that. I know I found that I was, I was really watching less TV, less Netflix, and then working on a song, even if it's a really hard song, if I just take it in chunks lately, I play guitar. So you take it in chunks. And then when I go to sleep, I feel like I accomplished something because it's, it's fun and it's challenging, but not too challenging. That's right. That's right. And that's exactly the right balance that we have to have. It has to be a, good, a challenge so that it's kind of, you know, pushing us a little bit, right. not so much that it becomes frustrating. Exactly. Exactly. Where can people find out more about you and what's going on with this at UCI? So to find out more about research that's going on in, in my lab, it's really easy. It's just yasalab.org. One okay. Word. 
Um, and that'll kind of tell you about our research projects that are ongoing. With respect to the Depression Center, there will be a website soon. There will be some information online soon, and we'll try to kind of be uh, good with the messaging and, and put out a press release and all of that informing people of where they can find out more information and where they can provide us also with uh, feedback, get on the mailing list, all those wonderful things. Oh, good. But for, yeah, for now, we, we just don't have that just yet because it's still very early days, of but course. we hope to have it in the next couple of months. Well, maybe you could uh, come back on as things start to progress. Would love to. And, you know, keep me posted. I, I had um, live in the studio, which was fun, um, two students from, actually three, one called in from India, from uh, Wise Wednesdays from the School of Social Ecology. And that was a lot of fun. Then now they're coming in once a month. And it's it's really a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah, no, I would be more than happy to. And, and my office is literally just a spitting distance to, to the um, KUCI office. So I'm excellent in the studio if you like. Okay, sounds good. Michael, thank you so much for calling into the show. Thank you, Janine. Thank you for having me.